Welcome to The Code, your guide to health and human performance. I'm your host, Dr. Andrew Fix from Physio Room, a performance-based rehab facility here in Denver. On this podcast, we're going to explore the key areas of your life that impact your overall health and wellness, from sleep hygiene and stress management to nutrition, movement, relationships, and more. We bring you conversations with industry experts and top performers to share strategies they have for cracking the code on health and human performance. Now let's get to today's show. What is going on, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix back here for another episode on The Code. Like I typically tell you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast, for listening, however you're you're doing this, if you're on the road or if you're hanging out on a computer. Really appreciate your time being on here. Again, we have an awesome interview lined up for you guys today. Uh, my friend Amanda Merritt Carlson is joining us. She is a triathlete herself. She's a triathlon coach, and um, and she has some awesome things going on that we're going to get into. So, Amanda, thanks for joining me this morning. Hey, Andrew, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, my pleasure. And uh, we'll get into this a little bit later, but this is kind of cool. We've got two podcast uh, hosts here talking to each other, so we'll talk a little bit about yours as we get going. But Amanda, would you do the listeners a quick favor and just, you know, kind of introduce yourself? Where are you from? What are you doing? And and how did you get into uh, endurance triathlon? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, I'm originally from the South Suburbs of Chicago. Uh, about six, seven years ago, knocked some sense in myself and uh, brought myself up to Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, so that's where I reside now with uh, my husband, Tim, and our dog, Witty. I originally moved up here to get into race event management. Um, so I became the director of timing operations at a local event management company. Completely fell in love with it. Uh, working the long hours, producing events was a ton of fun. Um, and I lucked out and I bumped into a nonprofit. Uh, the nonprofit's called Try for Schools. So our whole objective is to empower kids uh, to be happy, healthy, and confident. Uh, and then we donate all the money from our youth events back to the kids' schools to support their physical education departments. So for the past year, I've now been the executive director for that organization, which has been amazing. Um, and then, like you mentioned, uh, in what little free time I have, I, uh, I'm involved in triathlon myself as an athlete. Yeah, that, um, you know, that organization sounds awesome because I know, you know, for the last how many years, one of the big pushes, uh, which wow. I think this is not what should be happening, but I know taking a lot of the extracurricular physical education classes, art and music and like all this stuff is oftentimes what gets trimmed or cut from school curriculum programs as, uh, you know, uh, rather than kept in. And, you know, I think those are the things that kids in particular need the most. You are 100% right. You know, unfortunately, with the, the decreasing education budgets, uh, all the extracurriculars and the things that, you know, me personally, that I learned all of those major life lessons from from teamwork to goal setting confidence building yeah. those are the programs that disappear first so our our main objective is really to expose kids to movement you know build that lifelong skill support their physical education departments and and hope that you know they could have those 
uh, those skill sets, you know, not just now, not just in the classroom, but outside and for their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Well, and as a uh, physical therapist who talks about movement every day, that's like music to my ears. And uh, yeah. and I love it. I remember I was always the kid right in elementary or middle school who I'm like coming back to the regular class, like soaked in sweat from running around yes. in gym, gym <laughs> class. And um, it takes me the whole next class period to like, cool down and stop sweating. So I think I would have been, you know, without recess, without gym class, I would have been struggling. Absolutely. Yes. I was the same. I took the pacer test very seriously. (laughs) You got (laughs) to win. Got to win. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess that, um, I mean, it makes sense to me that like you have found yourself from a career path, like going into this side of things where it's obviously like a huge passion of yours too. And a huge part of your life um, up until that point. Um, so you're from the suburbs of Chicago, you moved to Wisconsin, but when, when was it that you found yourself starting to get, um, like introduced to or interested in endurance racing, triathlons? Like where did that come from? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I started running as a kid. I started in right near the end of, of grade school and I jumped into cross country in middle school, fell Mm -hmm. in love with it. You know, it became it became my world between cross country and track ran through high school. I uh, chose to go to North central college in Naperville. Um, mm-hmm. And I ran there both cross country and track five K steeplechaser. Um, again, absolutely loved every minute of it. Uh, but then I noticed as I, you know, as I got deeper into that sport, my body kind of started to break down a little bit, you know, bumped into some injuries. Um, and I had a friend suggest, well, why don't you do triathlon? You know, it's a little bit easier on the body. You can switch it up three different disciplines. And I knew nothing about triathlon <laughs> coming into it. Absolutely yeah. zero, except that it was swim, bike, run. And so my senior year of college, I think mm-hmm. going into the my last season as a college athlete, I decided, well, I'll try the sprint triathlon. And was 100% the one that panicked in the open water, was like pinning my bib to my shirt in transition. And, but from that moment, like knew 100%, like this is what I'm doing when I graduate. And from there, it just, like you said, it became my passion. It became everything. Mm -hmm. And now it's my, you know, career focus, not as an athlete, but, you know, in the endurance world. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it's so funny. And, you know, I think you hear a very similar story a lot of times where it was either something you got into as a child or like you got into one of those three disciplines, right. In your earlier years. And then, and then someone goes down and gets into triathlon Um, more often than not. The story I hear is a runner got into it as opposed to someone who was like, you know, a good swimmer or something like that. But I've heard so many times from people that do tries the, uh, you know, some, some of the bumps along the way that they had in their early couple races where they struggled with transitions or they, they forgot something or, you know, they're on the bike and they're like, shoot, I left this water bottle back at my transition station. And then those things get ironed out the more and more that you do. Absolutely. It's, it's definitely... I have found it to be a trial by error type sport. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to be very patient with it. 
and you tend to make more mistakes than you have successes for quite some time. And honestly, sometimes continuously, but that's the type of sport it is. And I think that's the type of sport that really, honestly, for me, makes it appealing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, we talk about all the time in in our world here at physio room with our clients, um, you know, or just like in the athletic world, you know, there, there've gotta be some, uh, failures or things that you overcome that ultimately at the end of the day, end up making you better for it. Um, whether that's an injury that you went through or whether it was a mistake that happened and you end up learning from those things. Absolutely. It's, it's all too often. I think people see really everything from sport to your professional life to social, everybody sees it as a straight line, right? It's from the bottom to the top straight line, but it's a lot of ups and downs. It's a lot of ups and downs. It's a lot of mistakes and getting back up and, and getting to that top of that straight line. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So you said you did a sprint triathlon towards the end of your, uh, end of your time in college. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Amanda just said she ran at North Central College in, I mean, in Illinois or just in the, in the division three world in general, because I too competed in division three, North Central has a great running program and um, they are uh, very often sending a lot of people on to the later meets in the years of cross country and, and track and field to the national championships and whatnot. So awesome program there. But Obviously, that falls in the real thick of the Midwest, and it's not always beautiful running weather uh, no. there in Illinois. So, um, so you know, what did you find yourself doing? You know, during were you running straight through the winter, or or how was that? I mean, back in college, it took a lot to get us inside, whether it was snow or cold. Um, but I have definitely noticed as I've gotten older and still living in the Midwest, obviously, as we're recording this, it is currently negative 12 here in Wisconsin. I have become, it's much more easier to convince me to get inside for sure. So I definitely do a lot more now, at least variation with like, I'll get in and I'll get on the treadmill because it doesn't make sense to go run in the foot of snow we have outside. Or that, you know, my skin may freeze instantly if I'm outside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I, I hear that a lot from people. And, um, you know, I think uh, Nora, who ultimately introduced us, I think, yes. I think she's, she's kind of the same way I see her uh, <laughs> or hear her telling me more about, you know, she did a run on the treadmill much more than, than she used to, you know, several years ago. So, um, so, so when was that, Amanda, that you, you know, you're running and then you decided to do that first sprint triathlon? What kind of time timeline are we talking about here? Yeah, it was. So that first triathlon would have been 2012, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like I said, from there, I was hooked. So yeah. once I graduated college, it was dive right into an Olympic that summer. The following summer was do the half Ironman. And then I said, I need to do a marathon, an open marathon. And then we're signing up for yeah. the Ironman. And so yeah. in 2015, I signed up for my first full Ironman. And honestly, it's been pretty much a full Ironman every year since then. Minus, yeah. you know, the little COVID gap we had there. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, 
Now, I don't know if they did this with with Ironman. I know a lot of uh, races, 5K, especially the shorter races, 5Ks, 10Ks. I know a lot of those during that COVID gap tried to, you know, just run the race virtually, right? Like you run the race and you take a picture of your watch and you submit the time or, or whatever. Did anything like that happen with any Ironman related events? Ironman for a while, they did kind of like this virtual series that you yeah. can like, jump on every week and submit your times and stuff. But, you know, all of that required having a smart trainer and Zwift. And, and I honestly, like for where I'm at in the sport, I'm a pretty old school person. Like I still have my dumb trainer. That's, you know, a wheel on and, you know, I have my power meter and I, I do my workouts like that. I'm not on I'm not on the video games or or yep. any of the the fancy trainers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, I I definitely don't get on the bike trainer that often, but I have the exact same kind that that you're describing, right? I yep. put a different <laughs> different tire on and try not to wear out mine that I use outside, and it's set up in my garage. And um, you know, I'm just pedaling without with all the all the statistics and without the screen and all this stuff. Yeah. Um, now, I, uh, from being involved in, you know, races, I have run for a lot of years and I too ran similar to you, ran cross country in middle school. And, um, I would go straight from like cross country practice in middle school, straight to like outside of school football practice. My parents, of course, are shuttling me around across town. Yep. And, uh, and then I ran track in high school, track in college, along with, you know, playing football and wrestling and whatnot. So I'm somewhat familiar with the different race distances in triathlon, but just to make sure everybody listening to this is on the same page, will you just kind of go through what those look like? Like, what does it look like from a distance or a volume standpoint for a sprint triathlon mm-hmm. versus an Olympic versus the half and full Ironman varieties? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so a sprint triathlon, uh, that could vary a little bit. Uh, Mm -hmm. But usually it's like a 400 meter swim, maybe a 10 to 15 mile bike, and then a 5k run. Uh, And then the next step up from that is an Olympic triathlon, uh, which is usually a 1500 meter swim. So pretty big jump on the swim, um, a 25 mile bike, and then a 10k. Uh, And then when you get into the half Ironman with Really, for me, like I kind of consider it a completely different world from the sprint Olympic to the jump into the half Ironman. That's when you're doing a 1.2 mile swim, 56 mile bike and a half marathon. So 13.1. And then for that full Ironman, again, which is kind of a completely different world. Now you're doubling all those distances. So 2.4 miles on the water, 112 on the bike and 26.2 for the run. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I'm with you. I think there's obviously a jump right from the, from the sprint to the Olympic distance, but looking at those numbers, that's a much smaller jump than once you start talking about doing that half Ironman. I mean, that's a pretty considerable jump to, uh, to jump from the Olympic to that. And then of course, just double it going to the full. So there's a huge step up in the, you know, amount of preparation and training that your body needs to be able to go, go and tolerate those things effectively. Um, you know, you regularly will see people very undertrained for five Ks, 10 Ks, half marathons, even full marathons. And you will see individuals be able to finish those things, no matter how much time it takes, but 
quite often their body is trashed after that for quite a long time. Uh, you would be probably very hard pressed to find anyone who could complete um, a half distance Ironman, let alone a full, without putting in some considerable training time and preparation for those things. Yes. You definitely see people, there's the occasional person that tries it, but like you said, it doesn't often, it doesn't often end well. And I definitely, um, as an athlete who has done those distances, I definitely would not suggest, suggest going in under train, you know, just, just from the not, you know, it not being a fun experience for you. And mm -hmm. two, it, you know, it's, it, it is, it's, it's, it's unsafe. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Not, uh, not only from like an orthopedic physical injury standpoint, but you know, a lot of other things, heat, heat issues and Absolutely. your body sort of shutting down on you for sure. Okay. So you started with the sprint and gradually, just like most people probably do, you found yourself getting attracted to and, and training for the longer and longer races. Um, yeah. but if, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you actually had the opportunity I know you've done this one in Madison a few times, the uh, half Ironman there. Um, but you have, or wait, no, it's a half Ironman, right? In Racine, where I'm from. But it's a it's a full in Madison, is that right? They've they've actually moved the one from Racine. So my first half Ironman uh. was in Racine, and then they ended up axing that one. And now there's both a full and a half in Madison. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, you had the opportunity, right? but to do that multiple times and you mm -hmm. actually ended up winning that race if i'm not mistaken <laughs> yeah yeah i did uh so wisconsin was my first iron man in 2015 um mm -hmm. and so i was still living in illinois then and then decided in 2019 after i'd been living in madison for a few years decided i was going to do it again and kind of to rewind a little bit after that first Ironman, uh, the goal for me really became qualify for the world championships. And I, you know, did a re I did full Ironmans in 16, 17, and 18. All close, but mistakes here, failures there, and couldn't hit that mark to qualify. Uh, and then in 2019, um, which is definitely the most fit I have ever been and the most mentally solid I've ever been. I qualified for the world championships. So right, the 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 goal was just the age group win to to get me to Kona. And about 18 miles in to the run, somebody told me, hey, you're winning the whole race. <laughs> and <laughs> I was a little bit dumbfounded because that definitely wasn't the goal. It wasn't the expectation. Um, but yeah, I ended up winning uh, the female overall amateur. Awesome. And that was in 2019? 2019, yep. Cool, cool. Now, you started to you started to say this uh, right at the end there, but what is the sort of qualification requirement in yep. order to, to qualify for the World Championships of Ironman? Yeah, so everything is based on age group finishes. Mm -hmm. So to kind of equalize the differences in the courses, you really can't use a time standard uh, because every Ironman race is so different. Uh, mm -hmm. So what they do is they distribute qualifying slots based on the number of starters that are in your age group. So mm -hmm. the higher number of starters you have, the more qualifying slots you get. Um, so really you see your male 
45 to 54 age groups end up with a good chunk of qualifying slots. Yeah. A Um, lot of people doing it. Yeah. That's, you know, that's the largest demographic of people participating in Ironman triathlons. So, but then as you get down into those lower age groups and then the really higher age groups, you see a lot fewer. So really, if you're a female or male under the age of 34, you're going to have one to two slots. So you either have to win your age group or come in second. Um, And so when I qualified, it was you had to win your age group. Mm, Got it. Got it. Now, I don't know if you uh, remember this, but in that age category, do you know roughly how many like how many females in that age bracket were uh, were in that particular race? Honestly, I'm not sure. I would probably guess somewhere between 50 and 100. Yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That's, um, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't actually know that part that like, as your age bracket and the number of competitors goes up, there's potentially a few more slots, but yeah. I guess that makes sense with, um, you know, the courses being so different, right. It's really, yes. you know, maybe the, maybe it's really flat in some parts and it's very hilly in other areas for the bike and the run. So I guess, I guess that makes sense to kind of try to even the playing Equalize ground, it. so to speak. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, have you found for, for yourself and your training and everything that like your fitness and whatnot, you tend to not gravitate towards, but like you tend to perform better relative to your competition on a particular type of course, like one that's hilly versus one that's flat versus something else. Yeah. Um, you know, starting triathlon as a flatlander in Illinois, you know, I always thought my strength was flat, you know, just put the hammer down on the bike and push power for five hours. And then I got up to Wisconsin and I got my butt kicked for a couple years with Mm -hmm. how hilly it is here. But then I started to realize that I tend to be pretty aggressive, both uphill and downhill. And that has suited me really well. Uh, so it actually has kind of transitioned since I've moved here from feeling like the flat courses were my strength in comparison to really it's the hilly ones that I now seek out and tend, you know, seek out if I, if I'm attempting to do well in my age group, you know, that's where I'm going to gravitate towards. So same thing like this year, you know, signing up for Wisconsin, going to do Wisconsin again. And, uh, what, what year are we in 2023? Yeah. Yeah. Now, which, uh, which lake there in Madison do you guys swim in for that race? We swim in Monona. So the smaller of the two lakes that, uh, surround downtown. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was about to say. For those of you that don't know Madison, Wisconsin, it is right there basically in between two lakes. And, uh, you will very often see a lot of people doing, doing sports and activities out on that water and on the, you know, paths and trails around the area. Madison is a pretty active, I mean, I live here in the Denver area lot of very active people but in wisconsin based on you know what i know from living in in the racine and waukesha area for most of my life uh madison's one of the more active cities that i'm aware of in wisconsin so yeah there's no shortage of of things things you can do to be active and honestly especially in the triathlon community we're lucky uh you know for what we have in the way of 
roads and, you know, drivers for the most part that are are safe and courteous of cyclists. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, every year we're ranked in the top 10 for triathlon towns in the U.S. So it's, yeah. it's definitely a benefit and an advantage to to live here as an athlete. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that's what you tend to see too, right? Is you see, no matter what sport or activity we're talking about, people that really enjoy and participate in particular activities, they tend to see themselves relocating to cities that really lend well towards that. And I think that's why there's a big move of, especially like outdoors related sport athletes out here in Colorado. There's so much stuff to do out outdoors or, or, you know, in Utah or Arizona or Idaho or anything else where there's a lot of outdoor skiing and snowboarding and whatnot. But, uh, but yeah, Wisconsin has, and Madison in particular has a lot of accessibility to triathlon. So, um, great place to live for that. Now, Amanda, what, what do you think has been, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of time and a lot of preparation that needs to go into training from one of these races and, but there's a lot of people that do them. Right. And I'm sure some yeah. people have very dedicated coaches and I'm sure some people are just DIYing this on their own and they're just training on their own and, and then going and competing. What have you found over the years that you've been doing this has sort of like made the biggest difference in, in your training? What are some of the things that you've found like make you either perform better or not quite to the level that you were hoping to? Yeah. Like you said, it's definitely important to note that there's no shortage of options to how you can do this and how you can be successful. So I always, I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big advocate for anyone getting involved in the sport. I think it's totally doable, no matter kind of, you know, what background you come from, what time you have, um, you can make it happen. Um, Mm -hmm. But for me in particular, consistency is the most important thing. I, you know, I, I have a very busy work schedule. You know, I still try to make sure I prioritize social time and time with my husband. Um, Mm -hmm. and that really does, uh, you know, start to limit when you can fit training in. And so for me in 2019, I was working a ton of hours. I was working a ton of weekends And it really came down to what workouts are the most important um, and where do I need to focus my time? So it was always hitting that long ride. So going into 2019, I did 10 hundred plus mile rides. So every week I was prioritizing, what am I going to fit in that ride? And that may have been in, you know, a five to noon uh, on a Friday because I was working on Saturday. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, you know, I think, right. We live in a, we live in a society where there's kind of like this need for instant gratification. Totally. You know, there's, there's this need for, you know, I could go on Amazon and I could order whatever I want. And it's going to be here in two days. Um, yep. you know, or any, you know, you have it's so many examples of that. And I think we see that people starting to apply that to both athletics and professional life. That they yeah. think, you know, I'm going to start this and tomorrow I'm going to be a pro. And the hard truth of it is that is not the case. You know, it is a lot of grinding and it's a lot of just showing up every mm-hmm. single day. You have to make yeah. that decision to show up and put the work in. 
And so for me, my most successful seasons have been when I prioritize those key workouts and I get those key workouts in, and then I'm able to fill in the gaps with what I'm able to fill in, you know, because stress is stress. Yeah. And if you try to cram in too much, it's, it's not going to help you. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, hearing you say that just kind of reminds me of like, for most of us, probably us two or anyone listening to this, there's probably not too many things in your life that either you've done or, you know, that happened to you that uh, felt really rewarding, that there wasn't quite a bit of like putting in time and effort in order to get there, right? Putting in a lot of time and effort to achieve something or win something. I've not won the lottery, but I'm sure it feels much different, right? I'm sure it feels really yes. cool to win the yep. lottery. And, and maybe if you've purchased lottery tickets, like every week for years, maybe, maybe <laughs> you feel like you put in a lot of time and effort, but that requires no work, right? Like it requires no dedication and no like effort. It, it requires money, but um, I'm sure that has a different feeling to like win the lottery versus like see yourself achieve something that, you know, you put a lot of blood, sweat and tears and time into in order to get to that point. And I think that's what every, you know, we're as of the recording of this, we're less than two weeks away from the Super Bowl. And I'm sure whatever team, the Eagles or the Chiefs end up winning that, that's what you're going to hear the players say, right? All of the yeah. time they spent along the season and in training to get to this point. It's not like they just showed up on Super Bowl Sunday and they played better. So they win. Like it's way more than that. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I think you're right. You know, that's what makes this so rewarding though, mm-hmm. you know, is that you don't just wake up and become a professional, you know, yeah. you, you put in the work and you have those ups and downs and then hopefully you're there, you know, there's that one day that it all clicks and it is, it's so much more rewarding. Um, and you're so much, I think more proud of that achievement when it's mm-hmm. like that. What's up, guys? Dr. Andrew Fix here from The Code. And I want to encourage you to check out our friends at Flux Footwear, the only shoe with an adaptive sole that moves and flexes with you. Since I got my first pair, they've been one of my favorite shoes to wear no matter what activity I'm doing throughout the day. If you're looking for a shoe that can keep up with you're going to the gym, to the office, traveling, or just catching a coffee date, you're looking for Flux. Visit the link in the show notes or check out my Instagram to get 10% off and pick up your pair today you're absolutely right with this, like, you know, instant gratification or like things happen immediately, right? You can Mm -hmm. go online and buy something you can, you know, you can find any kind of coach or training program or anything like that, that you want. But it's not like I can just pay for a Ironman training program. And that's going to just work for me and turn me into some, some elite athlete. If I don't put the time in to do the little things. And, um, you know, one thing that I think, uh, all sports obviously take time, but we all have the same amount of time in the day, right? It's 24 hours long. Now we all have different responsibilities. Some of us have families, some of us work different jobs and, um, but you really use the term, like priority, like what mm-hmm. did you make a priority? And that's what got done. And you filled in the other things along the way. And um, what was kind of cool to hear you say was that you were still trying to keep some form of like balance, right? And yeah. I personally, I'm not a huge fan or advocate of the term like work-life balance, because 
I think there's so many different categories than that. And like you're in a job that you are very passionate about and you enjoy. So I bet you there are times where you're like, you know, elbows deep in doing a bunch of work stuff, but it doesn't always feel like work because you really are enjoying it. So, so I don't love that work-life balance term, but you were trying to keep yourself involved in all the different facets of your life while you were still trying to get this training in. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's, it's super important. I think, especially in triathlon, people tend to fall into this, like, put the blinders on and triathlon is everything. You know, Mm -hmm. I need to hit every single workout. You know, I can't miss a single day, no matter what, whether I am like laying in bed, completely wiped out or I have a million errands to run for those with families, they have kids, sports, everything else. Mm -hmm. Too many times I see age groupers, especially trying to train like professionals that Mm -hmm. can dedicate all of that time, their entire day to training and recovery. And that's just not realistic for, for people the quote unquote normal people, right? Like us yeah. non-professional athletes that are still performing at a high level. You really do need to maintain that balance because triathlon shouldn't be your singular focus. You know, you should still have that social time. Um, yeah. And like you said, I am very, very lucky that I have, you know, worked my way into a career where I'm so passionate about it and mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like I go to work every day. You know, it it all blends together and and I'm lucky that I don't need to use the words work-life balance. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm just I'm just sitting here like, you know, thinking about all all that stuff that you said and you know, thinking about the time that it takes to train for some of these things. You know, you mentioned, okay, you may be on this ride from like five till noon, but just to give people like an idea, you mentioned consistency and continuing to show up and make the choice to do the work every single day um, or every single week is what made one of the biggest differences for you. Now, probably the cycling is what takes the most time, right? To train yeah. for what is going on these century, you know, if this bike ride is 100 and, 112 miles, what is, uh, what is going on when these century training rides typically take from a, uh, from a time standpoint on a day? Yeah. Um, you know, depending on how well your ride goes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, for like sure. It could, it could assuming be a, you have, uh, you know, assuming you have no uh, mechanical difficulties, you're not like changing tires every 20 miles or something. <laughs> yep. And um, assuming you have hopefully no like massive digestive issues or something and you're stopping Absolutely. every 20 minutes to use the restroom, but you just have like a fairly uh, uneventful Normal. in a good way kind of ride. Yeah. Yeah. Usually for me, it'll be, you know, between getting ready and getting on the bike to getting off the bike, you know, it could be anywhere from five and a half to to six and a half hours. You know, we've definitely had our fair share of rides with mechanicals and breakdowns and rainstorms and, and being out there for eight and a half hours. Mm-hmm. But usually I mean, you're, you're setting aside a good part of your day to get out yeah. there and get that ride. Yeah. Like a third of your entire day, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, you know, if you do have one of those, one of those rides where you're just having all sorts of issues, right. You're, you're having gear issues, you're having tire issues, you're having, you know, some, some body issues that are, you know, like maybe digestive and whatnot. Mm-hmm. 
in some respects, you know, going into it, you know, that those things are, you know, they're just like part of it. Eventually yeah. they're going to basically happen to everyone. Yeah. Right. Now, do you find yourself when those things happen, do you find yourself, you know, like getting super frustrated over that? Or you, you're just kind of like, well, I knew this was bound to happen. Eventually we'll just change this tire and get on with it. You know, of course there's that like instant frustration of, you know, there being a, a speed bump in your ride, but yep. ultimately to be a successful athlete, you need to have some of those rides, mm-hmm. right? You need to know how to change a tire. You need to know basic maintenance of your bike. You need to know how to adjust your, tr- your, your nutrition. If you are running into GI issues, or if you have low energy because what's to stop any of that from happening on race day? Yeah. Have you had that happen on a, on a race day? Any like, you know, mechanical issues or, you know, major issues. Once you were through like kind of the initial bumps of getting your transitions to run smoothly and everything, did you run into any like major transition issues or major, major mechanic issues like during one of your big races? Knock on wood, I have not run into any uh, major mechanicals out on a race. I've had a couple issues with like a launched bottle or a broken bottle, which, you know, does affect nutrition and figuring out how you're going to replace that. But uh, hopefully, you know, no flats, no Mm -hmm. real Mm -hmm. major mechanicals minus a couple drop chains. Yeah, yeah. Now... Now I know one of the, you know, obviously you have put in a lot of time and effort. You've qualified for the Ironman World Championships and like you've done some amazing things, which is one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you cuz like on this podcast, the code, we are trying to talk to like experts in or people mm-hmm. who have really pushed kind of the limits of, you know, health and wellness. But since we started getting on this topic of like dealing with adversity, right? I know you just said you fortunately haven't gone through too many like you know bike issues or transition issues or anything like that, but you have had to overcome and deal with some challenges in, in some of your racing history um, and your ability to, you know, kind of work through that and continue to work um, and put yourself back in these situations in spite of that, I think is one of the most awesome things and awesome parts of your story would, uh, would you be willing to share a little bit of that for us and some of the stuff that you've gone through in some of your races that, um, you know, probably shaped a little bit of like your perspective and yeah. how you view these things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said, you know, I, I started chasing Kona for, I mean, essentially it took me six years to get there um, yeah. and to finally be able to race it. Um, and I had a lot of races that, you know, had points where it was like, yep, this is going great. This is it. This is the day. And then you blow up and fall apart. Mm -hmm. You know, in 2016, I I went in with some like kind of sciatica stuff going on and it was kind of like, let's just see how long I could make it through the run. Mm -hmm. Um, and 11 miles in was just gone. You know, we, we dragged the leg to the finish line and, and that day was kind of, kind of blown. But that was that particular race, and that was 2016, was the one where, you know, I blew up 
But in addition to blowing up, I stopped having fun. Mm. You know, I was just miserable. And ultimately, I'm doing this sport, one, because it, it, it helps me be healthy. You know, two, I get to push myself both mentally and physically. But, you know, this is a lot of my social time. You know, this should be fun. Yeah. And so that was the the first race where I was like, you know, I am never going to do that again. If a race goes poorly, I'm going to still try to have fun and enjoy this. In 2017, went back to Ironman Louisville and I had a a really solid race. It was a good race. Um, My time compared to the previous year's uh, age group winner was faster, Mm. but I finished fifth in my age group. Uh you know, so that was that first lesson. And like, you have to control what you could control. I can't control the weather. All I could do is maintain my bike the best I can. And I can't show, or I can't, I can't control who shows up. You know, I have to run my race and where the cards fall, they fall. Yeah, um, totally. And that was, that one was a little bit harder to swallow, right? Because you're like, well, no, my time was better. Like I should have yeah. been first. Um, and I wasn't. Then in 2018, um, that was by far my biggest blow up. (laughs) Um, I went to Ironman Florida. Um, It was the year of Hurricane Michael. So they moved it to Haines City. Um, So it quickly became a very different course. Um, But I got started, had a great day, had a great swim, great bike. Got off onto the run and about a mile in, I knew something was very, very wrong. Um, and I actually have had, since I was diagnosed when I was seven, um, I have a minor seizure disorder and that disorder really just affects one side of the brain. Um, so it's very rare that I have like, you know, the the traditional seizure that you'll see in a movie, um, or on a show, um, you know, it's less convulsions and it's more, uh, lack of balance, uh, sounds bother me, vision gets blurry, it's very challenging to like, you feel very uncoordinated. You're kind of in this like super dreamlike state, not a super comfortable position to be in. Uh, and instantly on that run, I started feeling like this may end poorly. You know, yeah. this, uh, <laughs> I can end up on the ground here pretty soon. Uh, but being the stubborn, stubborn athlete I am, we pushed along. Um, And I had kind of been just dropping backward consistently. You know, I went from second overall in the race to third, fourth in my age group, but kept going, kept pushing. Um, And about mile 24, I was like, you know what? Just risk it. Still like completely in a daze, completely out of it and got to the final turn. And there was like, we went from sidewalk to grass. Um, Mm. and that sidewalk to grass transition was enough to like throw me off balance. Sure. And I was on the ground. So had a seizure 400 meters from the finish line. And again, being the stubborn person I am and knowing what happened and knowing my body, um, you know, whether it was right or wrong, I crawled to the finish line. So it was uh, like 45 minute last mile, (laughs) Um, but I got to the finish line and, you know, 
one, that finish was gratifying and that, you know, I didn't give up despite everything that had just happened. But it was also an opportunity to look back and say, well, why did this happen? And that was really when my coach and I started evaluating nutrition mm-hmm. and what was happening on the bike, you know, and that we were always kind of so focused on like, well, why do I blow up on the run? You know, I have a great swim and a great bike and I blow up on the run every time. Well, we finally started looking at it's like, well, what if I'm completely gone on the bike already? And so that was the huge, huge, huge lesson for 2019 was nutrition and figuring out what I needed on the bike in order to, to, to run well. And so we did that. We revamped it. You know, I really worked on just consistently hitting the, the priority workouts. And, you know, I ran a 332 off the bike, which was faster than my open marathon PR. Yeah, which is wild, right? To think (laughs) think about that you could go sign up for and run a marathon in your time that you did that in, you beat that at the end of a triathlon, right? That's wild. (laughs) Yes. Now, you know, hearing you tell that story... One, I think just like you said, it's a huge testament that you finished that race in 2018, despite your, your body basically telling you like, stop, 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 right. Things are shutting down, but you were able to finish the race. Did, um, did that experience that you went through? Well, I I think I know the answer, but like, did that experience make you more concerned to do triathlons after that, like in 2019 in the future, or did it make you like more determined to, to want to do it? Did you like, did you want to do it more? Or were you like a little hesitant? You know, I am. Cause yeah, I mentioned, you know, I was diagnosed with this seizure disorder when I was seven. Yeah. Um, and I am beyond thankful that my mom at the time, when, you know, when this happened um, and, I was very active as a child, played baseball, all the different things. She had a doctor tell her, well, you need to take her out of all sports. You know, like you you have to put her in a bubble and and that's going to be her life. And, you know, my mom basically gave that doctor an unpleasant finger and and walked out. Um, And she found a doctor that said, no, she can do everything. We just need to figure out what she needs, you know, what are the, you know, what's, what does stress look like? What is sleep like? What medications are right? And so her doing that really kind of set up that trajectory for me to make those decisions as I became an adult, you know, Mm -hmm. so I've never taken the approach of, oh, well, I should stop doing this. Um, it, It never has crossed my mind to stop doing this. It's just, I need to step back and look at, well, why did this happen? And how do I make it not happen? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, not having had that situation happen to me, but, you know, kind of um, forecasting like, well, what if something like that's happened? I hope I handle it in a very similar way because, you know, I'm a huge, I already mentioned the Super Bowl. I'm a huge football fan. Several weeks ago, we just had this situation happen where, Damar Hamlin on the Buffalo yeah. Bills had a freak incident happen on the field where he went into cardiac arrest. 
And, um, you know, I have seen so many different kind of, uh, takes from analysts or from fans or whatnot on the internet about, you know, people saying how he should never play football again. And, um, I just find myself like not necessarily agreeing with that. And what I'm definitely not saying is that he did not not have an extremely traumatic event happen to him. He definitely did. Fortunately, it was handled well at the time, but ultimately the only person or people that can make that decision is him, his family and his medical professionals that he's consulting with. Right. And the chances that what happened to him happens are so slim and so small that if, you know, the medical professionals he's working with and himself and his family, if, if they feel like he is able to get back into the physical condition that it takes to play a sport at a high level like that, to, you know, talk about what the risks are and what the risks are not. And if he decides that it's appropriate for him to try and continue playing football, I don't think he should feel like he shouldn't do that just because of, um, you know, something negative had happened to him because, you know, there, there are implications on that decision one way or the other, right? Either he's missing something that he probably really enjoys and has spent his whole life preparing for, or he plays knowing what some of the risks risk are and, and, you know, what could happen. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's awesome that, you know, your mom kind of, tried to find different opinions and and find ways to help you manage something and still participate rather than just saying you can't do this. And this is why. Yeah. And you know, with the Jamar Hamlin situation, I completely agree with you. Um, You know, the important part of this is that you, you do the right things, right. You, you seek out answers, you know, you, you seek out um, the right resources you recover appropriately Mm -hmm. um, and you make that decision with the people that support you. You know, I'm very, very lucky in that I have this crazy, amazing village of people that have sacrificed so much to help me be the athlete I am. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are definitely things that you take into consideration when you do have kind of one of those traumatic events, but you want to keep going. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So with this big nutrition kind of change and reevaluation process that you went through from 2018 to 2019, Mm -hmm. for you personally, what were some of the things that you and your coach and what did you guys find out and what were some of those changes that you made so that you were able to perform better getting off the bike, finishing the run and finishing the race with, you know, appropriate energy levels and fueling and all that. What were some of the changes you made? Yeah. So, um, I've kind of always had a bit of like a sensitive stomach. Uh, mm-hmm. and so I, I noticed pretty quickly in my Ironman career that solid foods weren't great for me. Um, so I had tried to do everything in liquid form. Um, and so I was using a certain sports product and was just filling that bottle, concentrating that bottle with all the calories I needed. Um, which is okay, but we learned that I wasn't getting enough water with that, right? Mm. The more calories you put into that bottle, you know, the more (laughs) filling a bottle halfway full with powder, you know, the less water you're putting in. Um, and eventually it becomes time where even though you're drinking all that liquid, there's not enough 
fluid coming in with it. And so what we decided was, you know, we got to find the calories some other way. Um, and we have to get more water in. Um, yeah. And so I, I switched products. Um, and I now use a product called Osmo. Um, mm-hmm. And I specifically use the um, one that is formulated for women. Um, so it has a couple different sugars in it that are kind of have been proven to absorb better for the female body. Um, and it is more focused. It, it's less calorie heavy and more hydration. And finally found something stomach wise that would work uh, to be able to eat more of like a solid food. Um, yeah. So oddly enough, you know, I, I do the whole uh, gel gels or blocks. Um, and then halfway through my ride, I have a Snickers. <laughs> and yeah. That's that's what does it. That's what does it for me. That is so interesting. Well, the, you know, the hydration piece makes, makes great sense because Especially, well, whether or not the race is being held in a warm environment, which typically it is because you're, you're swimming two and a half miles, but, um, the, uh, you know, you're losing a lot of fluid, you're losing a lot of, yeah. uh, electrolytes and sweat and fluid. So not only do you need to replace the electrolytes, you also need to replace the fluid, right. Um, to, to help with all the things, cooling your body, regulating yeah. your blood flow, like every, everything from a fluid standpoint. Um, that is interesting about the, about the Snickers, but in that type of a situation, you know, your, your body is going to use whatever it can for, yep. uh, for fuel. And, um, there are a lot of different components in a bar like that, right? There's sugar, there's fat, there's <laughs> salt and some sodium in there. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. What, what mile usually do you end up eating? That's like halfway through the bike or what? It's usually like halfway through. Mm-hmm. That is so funny. Um, but you've noticed that that allows you like those changes have allowed you yeah. to feel better and feel stronger in the later stages of the race. Exactly. You know, I feel like when I get off the bike, I have the energy to go out and run a marathon. I may not want to run that marathon, <laughs> but I can. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a big mental portion to that too, of wanting it's to do that. It's a huge mental component <laughs> to this whole sport. <laughs> um, okay. So, so I, I think, I think those, you know, things that you've gone through the trials and tribulations you've had, not only from like a training standpoint, but a, you know, a body standpoint that's, you know, u- unique to you and not everyone's going to have that same experience, um, probably gives you a little different perspective on, you know, on doing something like this is, is any of that, what kind of led to the, um, what I want to do is I want to open up an opportunity for you to talk about your podcast. But like, mm-hmm. is any of that what kind of led to, you know, you hold a, uh, a podcast too, where yeah. um, if I understand right, you're, you're kind of talking about people that have gone through some adverse situations and sharing their stories and whatnot. Yeah. So I recently became a co-host on a podcast called Power in the Granny Gear um, with a couple of real good friends of mine. And the whole idea behind it, right, for those that aren't uh, necessarily bikers, you know, the granny gear is, is referred to, you know, it's your lowest gear. It's the easiest gear. Um, but the idea behind it is that like, you could still produce a lot of power in the granny gear. Um, and so what we wanted to do was really kind of seek out people that have those stories, you know, those really empowering 
um, stories where people have overcome adversary, adverse adversity in many different ways. Um, and it's not, you know, the, we're not bringing on all the crazy famous people and, and really focusing in on, um, the stories, you know, we're, we're focusing in on your everyday people that have stories that you don't hear. Yeah, I think, and I think, um, if I've learned anything, it's, you know, the, the stories that you do hear, right. The ones that are on TV and all this stuff is it's usually because those people were already somewhat in the spotlight, but normal people like you and I have just as impressive and tremendous stories. You just, like you said, we just don't all know about them, but they're not any less, you know, massive of a story or a thing that they've overcome. These things happen to people every single day. Exactly. Yeah. You nailed it. When did, um, when did you guys start that, uh, that show? So that show started just over a year ago. Um, and then I was asked to join just a handful of months ago. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun and very rewarding. Uh, just another one of those fun, fun side things to add, uh, more to my plate. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Um, I'll have to go give some more of those episodes. Yeah. listen and, and hear more of those stories. But um, for those of you that are listening to this, please go check out that podcast that Amanda's the uh, the co-host on. And we'll, we'll make sure that that link is in the show notes as well. So you can easily, easily find that. Um, Amanda, of the people that uh, you've had the opportunity to, to kind of interview on there, mm-hmm. is there one story in particular that like stands out one, ep- one episode that you would recommend checking out? Yeah. So it was actually an episode. Um before I was on the show. Um, but what we do is we kind of have these series and each series mm-hmm. has a different theme. Um, and the series was life after retirement. Mm. Uh, and we weren't using retirement in the traditional sense of the word, right? Like moving on from your career, you know, the whole idea of all well, you're 65 now, or at least 65. Yeah. It was kind of the idea of what's next in any yeah. chapter of your life when you totally. move on past anything. Um, mm-hmm. And so we interviewed one of our teammates, his name is Ed Pyrick, and he is just an incredibly inspirational guy um, who has recently had to move on from triathlon mm-hmm. uh, because of some health issues that, that really put him in danger if he's out on the roads and the bike. Um, and he just had some incredible things to say um, really about time, um, mm-hmm. right. Which is one of the most valuable things out there um, totally. and how you choose to spend your time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would definitely consider if you, you know, if you want a good cry and if you, <laughs> and if you want to really look at your life and you know what that trajectory is and see what's very important to you, I would definitely suggest a listen on, on Ed's episode. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll absolutely go do that. Cause I did not catch that one and, um, appreciate the, uh, the recommendation. Yeah. Um, Amanda, in terms of, you know, training and triathlon or any of the stuff that we got into or, or anything else or anything that we left out of this that you wanted to make sure to mention before we start the process of, you know, winding this down and wrapping this up. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think I I touched on it a little bit, um, but 
like I said, you know, I, I really do believe that anybody from any background can do this sport. Um, and it's going to look different for everybody. Uh, so I think it's really important to not compare yourself to every other athlete, Mm -hmm. uh, because what they do is going to be a lot different than what you do and your success may not look like their success. Uh, So for anybody getting into the sport, anybody in the sport, whether you're a top age grouper, professional, don't know how to swim, um, you really need to just show up and do the right things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's so good in whether we're talking about sports or fitness or, or anything else, right? Like your journey is not someone else's journey. And even though it is so easy with social media and all this stuff to like easily try to compare yourself to what you think someone else is doing. And the reason I say what you think is because you don't know what's happening behind Instagram and behind Facebook and TikTok and everything. You don't see all that part necessarily. Um, but that, uh, that comparison can really zap the fun or the joy out of a lot of things. If that's the trap you kind of get yourself stuck in. Um, and then, you know, you maybe end up doing things for the wrong reasons and not just for the pure enjoyment and personal satisfaction you get out of it. So I think that's an awesome thing to end with just, you know, write your own story and show up consistently. And, um, and then you'll, you'll see that reap the rewards that you want. Um, Amanda, thanks again so much for joining me on this episode here of the code. Um, I really appreciate your time and hope that you have an awesome rest of the day. And for all of you guys that tuned in to listen to this and made it to the end of this episode, thank you so much again um, for tuning in to us here on the code. You've heard me say this before, but if you're finding things on here that you're enjoying hearing, you're getting some value out of this, we would love for you to let us know that whatever podcast platform or website you're on, go hop on there and leave us a review and um, and share some of the things that you appreciated out of this. We really have a goal. We're trying to get up to 200 five-star reviews on this podcast so that we can get it out in front of more eyes and ears and spread these messages to more and more people. So again, Amanda, I hope you have an awesome day and thank you so much for joining me. You too. Thank you. Absolutely. We'll catch you guys next time here on another episode of The Code. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.